Madison. It's Torres oh! to give Chelsea a place in the Champions League final. The headline has been written. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I said the last 18 months have just been forgotten in two seconds. Hello and welcome back to the Plastics Podcast, a show where three American wankers contemplate the twilight years of our 20s. You're joined by belated birthday boy, Blair Lacrosse. My life is over. Mario Kart champion, Maddie Gaylor. I will beat you on any platform. And myself, Jacob Burke. This week, the table is shaken. North London reigns supreme. Manchester United thank their lord and savior Scott McTominay as he carries them to a much-needed victory over Brentford. Brighton showcase more world-class youth talent against Liverpool at the Amex, and Arsenal follow through on their best General Douglas MacArthur impression against City in a match described as super interesting if you like tactical off-ball stuff. This, another FPL roundup, and looking ahead to another international break. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Hello. It's nice to be back <laughs> and alive. Yes. Yes. What a weekend. Uh, a we, whirlwind. We are recording on a Monday, a Monday afternoon. Let's not give them too much information. Uh, I'd rather not people. Uh, I'm, I'm on my lunch break for sure. <laughs> I am eating lunch right now. From an unknown bunker in New York City. Comes the Plastics <laughs> Podcast. Ah, fans go wild. Blair, how are you feeling? Um, As a newly minted 20-year-old. Uh, <laughs> I'm 20. I'm, I feel good. I played soccer two days in a row, and I'm definitely not sore and stiff um, in the back region. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely still... As live and limber as a, a 20 huh, something should be. <laughs> That'll be good when all of us turn. 20, huh. <laughs> 20, huh, 20 huh, plus 10. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I the, the single game, the soccer game I played, I don't even think you qualified as a soccer game. So it, was it was competitive. Yeah. It was like five aside, basically. There were like a few red card challenges, I thought. Yeah. yeah. I almost lost a toenail. Scissor kicks. And, yeah. Yeah, it was like shell and soccer or anything. I think I should make it public. I did a crew like four XG. Dude, uh, you, you were racking. And I got a fat whopping nil. Jacob hit the post that was a shoe. Yeah. Maybe I five did. Times. I, I converted my penalty my, my, my penalty and I provided an assist. So I think I was quite valuable to the team. I blew it on my penalty. <laughs> <laughs> I had a really nice penalty and I stopped Blair's penalty. So I'm pretty happy with myself. That was pretty rude of all, all yeah. days to stop my penalty yeah, you're on welcome. my birthday. And then yeah, came home to just absolutely cry. crush it in Mario Kart. Mm-hmm. That's so. true. That's true. I really we had should, a hell of we a should night. give a shout happy out. Happy birthday, Maddie. Yeah, to thank the co, you. The, the co, um, the co-champion, uh, Carlos. Yeah, yeah. A we, duo unlike any other. Some we, compare you to Serena and Vitas Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was a great partnership. He even drew a heart next to our names oh. on the board. Oh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we uh, we didn't record on Sunday. No, we did not. Who knows when we're recording right now? Um. You've <laughs> Can already you turn said my headphones down just a little bit. Yeah. Which one are you in? Uh, three, four, four, four. How's that? 
That's a lot better. Thank oh, you. nice. So we are going to break down the games we watched today, the three. Over the, over the weekend, I should say. Today, the three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think we're going to save the uh, juicy bit for last being Arsenal Manchester Brentford, City. <laughs> um, because they were all pretty juicy. It was a good weekend. It was, it was, I think it was a rather eventful weekend. It was a table weekend. shakeup of a weekend. Yes. Uh, Maddie, yeah. I'm going to let you take command here as you head up your own personal segment. My personal segment. Yeah, we're calling segment. this Maddie's Corner. Yeah, this weekend, the first game we watched was um, Jacob and I got in an argument over whether I can call Brentford um, my team because my <laughs> team currently is in the championship and I'm unable to watch them because I don't have whatever subscription service it requires. Um, but top of the table, Lester, thank you. That's true. Price yeah, wait, can we get a, we, a championship update here? Um, They're top of the table, man. Yeah, I, I just, I, I want to know the... the uh, 30 points. Thank you. Plus 17 goal difference. 30 yeah. being one more than 20. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> 20. <huh>. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Plus 17, pretty good. Pretty good. It's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. But I, I, I digress. Manchester United two, sorry, Scott McTominay two, Brentford one. How we're pressed in third with a minus two goal difference? That's <laughs> something that needs to be investigated. Championship is a mystery, unlike <laughs> any that other. It is a good question. Hang on, yeah. What what would to do when talking about the Premier League when we got the championship here? I'll tell you why. They lost four nil, then three nil, then four two. So mm. they've had a string of pretty mm. bad matches after it looks like a pretty decent start to the year. Anyway, uh, Maddie, sorry to cut you short. Continue. That's all right. That's all right. Um, I spoke this game into existence. The end of this game, I spoke into existence. I sat on the couch and I said, man, Scott McDominay has really solidified his position on the bench. And then he Oof. entered the game. You and then fate. he scored two goals. So fuck me, right? Mm. Uh, first point, I wrote Scott McDominay. If you were, say his name three times in a mirror, he appears and scores uh, twice on you. <laughs> that's true. Um. Welcome back, Scotty. Uh, I am wondering, do you guys think this solidify? Do you think I think this brings him back to not coming in extra time, maybe a halftime sub or a start? Hmm. No. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Wrong. <laughs> I don't know because here's the thing. I'm going to say something that I think is going to be a bit hush hush. I don't think Casemiro's been that good lately. I think he's been oh, kind of I bad. Think I don't think he's been very good either. Yeah. I think so him I, and Rashford have been struggling. So I think that, um, you know, Casemiro being the obvious DM here uh, in, in this game, partnering with Sofyan Amrabat, the loney all the way from uh, Fiorentina. Uh, but the the injury list on Man United is not a... Um, it's not not a short list. It's a long list. But Brentford also have a longer <laughs> list of injuries than Manchester United, I will say. That's true. I think Manchester United is more concentrated defensively, though, being that all of their injuries are defensive. Related. Yeah. Um, well, we can get into Luke that. Luke Shaw, Juan Basaka, um, Lissandra Martinez, and Tyrell... Malasia are all out, right? And so we Has have, Malasia even gotten minutes this season yet? Um, according to Fat Mob, he's had uh, no. <laughs> yeah, no, he hasn't. He's got no stats this season. What's zero. the injury? Does it Fat Mob uh, say or is it, it says like, injured? Okay, that's yeah. unfortunate. Oh, nice. yeah. He was actually pretty decent last year. I think he was maybe a bit of a surprise uh, performer for being a relatively young uh, guy. 
So uh, anyway, to continue my thought process here is that uh, it, we have a starting back four of Diego Dallo at right back, Harry McGuire and Johnny Evans as the center back pair. Hell yeah, we and do. Victor Lindelof at left back. So I, I will give Manchester United this. They're not starting with their ideal tool bag here. No, but their defense, I don't think was the problem this week. I think it was a Casemiro mistake that led to a Harry Maguire pushed mistake that led to the one Brentford goal. Yeah. And I don't think Harry Maguire had a bad game. I think he had a relatively good game for the situation that he's in, which is probably not a good mental state. He's being bullied online. And online yeah. bullying is no joke. I mean, yeah, you're you're like the, at the head of that charge. I think I've <laughs> I haven't said anything about Harry Maguire this season. Very bad, but also <laughs> I am bullying Harry Maguire online. <laughs> anyway, so so when when you have this defensive issue and Casemiro's being a big bad on on the field, yeah. you know your choices for defensive midfielder here are Scott McTominay and Donny Van de Beek. That's what you have available. So and uh, Donny is nowhere to be seen. Yeah, well, he, well, he's on the bench. But yeah, obviously, Scott McTominay comes in late. And un- unironically, I believe, the online discourse, ha- in which I, I think, to some element, is an overreaction. But but as with everything, there's a there's a little hint of truth in it. He's unironically better as a striker. They he, they got Scotland McTominay. Yeah. <laughs> like, for real. Because like all he does is score goals when he goes to play for Scotland. It's kind of crazy. I saw somebody say who the hell trained scott mctominay as a defenseman why would you do that to him defenseman it, it, you, yeah like, he plays he's in the nhl uh, yeah so it's just it's right. kind of a, it's a daniel chara kind of <laughs> jesus can i say anything <laughs> no sorry it just stuck out as a word to me my bad <laughs> jesus <can I> say? <laughs> um anyway maddie continue with your thought process here I don't think their defense was the issue. Mm -hmm. I think it is the combination of Onana having kind of an identity crisis with Mm -hmm. the rough start with Manchester United. Uh, Casemiro not really performing with the best of his ability, I think, or what was last season a really good start. Mm -hmm. Um, And Rashford having a rash of several weeks of not also being able to score to drive to perform to what we Hmm. thought he was going to be last season as well um and weirdly enough johnny evans is the calm bright spot of this team and it feels so weird to talk about that two weeks in a row okay I mean, that true also by the way (laughs) but uh 35 year old johnny evans uh back back in his hometown um, I, I do have, you bring up two points that I want to proc to both of you. Uh, sure. m- one of which, uh, being, uh, Onana, um, he let in the goal that was kind of like a defensive cluster of mistakes yeah. positionally, I think, but all, ultimately on Casemiro, I yeah. think. He gave the, the ball away. One agreement, but, uh, Blair walked into the room and <laughs> he said something. I, I which, kicked the door down, which, the room. <laughs> which I disagreed with. Cool and I, I, I'd love to hear your thought processes here, but was it a goalkeeping error? Should we look at Onana letting in the goal? Um, do we even pre- this is Manchester United two Brentford one. I said that. Okay. Sorry. I said Scott McTominay too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so is Andre Onana letting that goal in a goalkeeping error? Uh, I'll let you go first. 
Maddie or Jacob, whoever's making the yes case? I think the yes case is that he dove the right way. It, he hit it with his hand. I think the no case is that he dove the right way. He was blocked by a defender. Like the, it, it went right under his arm. Like I think he's, he's right there. He's, he's on the cusp of, you know, being a good goalkeeper in the eyes of Manchester United fans. I don't think it's an error because I mean, he, he got part of a hand on it. Like there's not much you can do if it takes a deflection. Okay. So we got no goalkeeping error. One, I think one it's point. Unlucky. Yeah. Okay. Now I just watched it back. That's why I let you go first. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so I've cheated. I've seen the evidence uh, in, more recently, I think. And I think, yes. Um, and like, I think what I would say is generally in Onana's defense, the way that this comes about is tricky. It's really tricky to manage as a keeper because what ends up happening is Brentford break, right? They have numbers. Uh, United are trying to get organized in the box. Lindelof, Lindelof does a good job of cutting out a pass into the box um, to is it Hickey. And then it bounces, like Jacob said, off of Casemiro and finds Norgard. Um, is it Norgard or Jensen? I believe it's Jensen. Jensen, sorry. Finds Jensen, um, who has, you know, a, a good window to one-time it to the back post. Um, and I think it might bounce off of Lindelof who's desperately trying to block it um so it's kind of bouncing at Onana off on the floor so it's it's tricky to play like I I have sympathy for Onana here the one thing I will say though watching it back which I didn't see the first time is Onana is like biased really heavily to the right post from the perspective of the shooter and he gets scored on at his left post at the at at the left post Mm -hmm. um from the perspective of the shooter of Jensen so um if Onana wasn't so far over to um, his own left and didn't have to cover so much ground coming diving to the right, where he does get a hand on it, but not a solid enough one, he probably has a better position to just fully stop the shot, full full stop. So, yeah, actually kind of seeing it in hindsight now, I, I kind of, I'm going to flip my opinion here. I do think he maybe had made a mistake. <laughs> leaving, leaving Maddie in the dust even after we thought we knew what you were going to say, Blair. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His, his, his standing position is, isn't good. Um, I don't really fault him for getting his hand to it and, like, the hand not being strong enough because I think it's tricky to play it the way it came at him, but I think he probably should be standing in a better spot to make a, a more firm play on the ball, I guess is what I should say. Right. And uh, I think, it, you know, obviously not not a good position, but he that he had a whole hand on it. So I think I think that's an agreement there. Um, two, two to one here, Manny, I'm sorry. Um, just for <laughs> statistical statistical referencing here. Um, his score? post shot expected goals. So it like post shot expected goals minus goals allowed is a metric that FBref employs to suggest whether or not the current goalkeeping ability of a keeper is statistically better or worse than the numbers they're facing against. Uh, currently, Andre Onana is on a minus one PSG minus GA, which suggests that he has statistically let in one more goal than he should have so far this season. Is that including Champions League? Because this I know is just the Premier okay. League. I know there's been a lot of discourse about his performance in Champion League, Champions League and how he's been performing there. 
um, which hasn't been great. He made a couple of mistakes against what was it, Real Madrid? Oh, uh, Bayern. Yeah, Bayern. He, he and uh, I. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, he was uh, fifty million pounds as a fifty million euros as a uh, ball playing goalkeeper. Um, I, I think I think we can all agree that his shot stopping hasn't impressed the league so far. So we'll just have to see. Obviously, this is with a caveat that he's operating with a back line that isn't optimal. Isn't what he you know yeah he's been training for. So yeah. uh, moving on to Marcus Rashford, uh, Maddie, you have never despised anyone more. And what? Um, I'm I'm just going by your words. Whoa! I'm just going by your words. Oh my gosh! No, I feel the way about Scott McTominay, <laughs> so, not Marcus anyway, Rashford. Yeah, Manny, can you take take me through what this uh, what this means for Marcus Rashford? Yeah, I mean it's kind of a mystery. If is it because Casemiro isn't performing well, he hasn't been able to get that opportunity? Is it a mentality issue? Is it the disruption in the team like mm-hmm. camp mm-hmm. because of the whole Jaden Sancho thing? Is it a combination of all three? Yeah. Um, did he have a dip last season too? No, he had a fantastic season last okay. season. I mean, contract it, year. <laughs> not, not joking. Is yeah, I know. It, I know. <laughs> is it Rasmus Hoyland coming into the squad and kind of, yeah, performing it's kind of tough right yeah i think manchester United is one of those things where you can constantly point at something and be like well yes. that, that's a problem yeah and is it just you know a few weeks of not doing the best he can be yeah I, I mean holland hasn't had a great past couple weeks uh, so yeah well everybody has you know little dips every now and then there's a team formation issue there's a lot of injury issues like right I don't think it's any, anything to be concerned about. Okay. Okay. You're, so you're backing off. So you don't hate him. You just kind of. I never hated him. <laughs> My God. So, I, I'm just going to keep track on the Holland progress for you, Maddie, um, as we continue here. I mean, Holland, Marcus Rashford progress. Um. Okay, cool. Uh, I think, uh, can I, can I jump in that? Yeah, Please. you, of course you can. I think Blair, birthday boy. So, oh, sorry. I just, uh, need the table with, with my own knee. Um, I think that Marcus Rashford in this team is going to constantly create a tension between the way they want to play and the way, and the way he plays best. And right. so like, there are going to be these weeks where it looks clunky because they're not playing the optimal Marcus Rashford way. They're playing the optimal, maybe Eric Ten Hag way. And mm. so, yeah, I think that's that's always going to be a bit troublesome to manage. I think what I will say, though, is that I saw Marcus Rashford doing more winger things this week than I have seen him in previous weeks. He was actually tracking runners back into his own half, not just letting them run past him uh, as he jogs around, waiting for the ball to come back to him so that he can try to break um, into space. And that's not to disparage Rashford, but I do think that's a bigger weakness in his game is that he won't lean into those duties like his team needs him to. Right. And that is how you cover that side of the pitch. This is what modern wingers do, uh, the best ones at least, um, unless you're like Kylian Mbappe, uh, where you're just so good at the one thing that you can kind of just make up for not doing the other stuff. Um, there aren't a ton of James Hardens out there in uh, world soccer. I Definitely guess not. Soccer. Yeah. So um, I think that's something that they're always going to have to kind of contend with. And I also think this team is like probably still got like a bit of a buildup problem just because they don't have their ball players at the back that they want. So like um, the big one here is Martinez, who's good on the ball, a good passer. And, you know, I mean, Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire, I think Harry Maguire is like, okay on the ball. I don't 
know much about Johnny Evans uh, in that regard, but they played with a bit of a higher line this week. I think this is a bit of a different uh, take on uh, Eric Ten Hag ball that over what we've seen um, in his recent vintages with United. So yeah, it seems like maybe maybe there's a bit of a shift happening now. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think with that being said, their structure looked pretty good. Like Johnny Evans is playing, his average position, position is uh, a few yards behind the center circle. That's Johnny Evans. And if That's there's one thirty-five-year-old Johnny Evans, exactly. And if there's one thing we know about Brentford is that they want to hit you on the break with the speed of with Brian and Bomo um, and his Listen. ball carrying. I think that Brentford really miss Rico Henry because they need another mm. guy who can uh, sprint down the channels and create defensive headaches. And they just really didn't seem to to generate that threat. They, their one goal came off a bit of a transition moment, but like there just weren't enough of them in this match. And I think there's some credit that's due there to United for being able to manage that with this defensive setup. Let me um, let me put a small asterisk on what you're saying here. Um, does this, to me, this game serves as more of a lucky break for United than a vindication for a certain way that Eric Ten Hag's trying to get his guys to play? Oh, it's absolutely lucky the way it broke down. Yeah. yeah. And so my question is, if you have, um, you know, Eric Ten Hag's got his, like, quote, guys now. He's had three or four windows now where they've not spent an insignificant amount of money. And so when we come to the situation where um, for a large part of the game, they're just toothless. Yeah. Um, what What needs to be done? Um, so like, I agree that he like has his guys, um, so to speak, but like, they're just not on the pitch (laughs) at the moment, you know? Um, and like, I mean, everything I know about the modern way of playing the, the money, the big money way of playing, I guess the possession ball is like, it's all predicated on building from the back and using your elite, uh, ball playing center backs, um, fullbacks, whatever, inverting fullbacks to build from the back and use that to create space as you force teams to press onto you. And they definitely don't have that. I always thought that was going to be the way that United went, but they didn't. They really settled into that like sort of low-blocking counter um, style last season. Mm. And I think the one thing that I always expected to happen was a bit of a dip from United in their form as they figure out this new system with new um, players within it. This is, I guess, my experience seeing other teams move this way, uh, particularly Arsenal, my Arsenal experience, of course. But um, And then as they gradually kind of figured their way, they would improve on it. Yeah, you see that you saw you see it with Ange right away, like at Tottenham, right? Like they they instantly have an identifiable change in how they play, and you could you can excuse if uh, you could excuse Spurs, for example, if they had a bit of a rocky start to the season, they haven't. But if they did, you could say, well, they're just trying to figure out this new system, right? They're trying to gain a new identity from all the years of suffer ball they played, and that's what I was expecting from United, but they didn't. They tried to short shortcut it. Um, with this different system, so if they if they are actually moving to that, I would expect to see some bumps in the road. But like, I think in the long run, that would pay off for them a lot more. Yeah, I would love to play a game where we do. We don't have time, but I'd love to play a game where uh, we do a roulette wheel and see how Marcus Rashford would perform on another team. Um, I think a lot of people say like, "Man, he'd be a great player for Crystal Palace." And sometimes I wonder what they're talking about. Um, 
Anyway, okay, I think we, we've talked a longer than I uh, anticipated about yeah. this game. So uh, you two want to move on into Brighton 2, Liverpool 2 at the Amex? Take it away, Jacob. Uh, I have uh, in quotes here, well, not quotes, but it's, I'm quoting myself here, a fair result. A fair result. Everyone can walk away equitably happy. We came can to an they? agreement and we, uh, we, we, we did Are our you? best. You know, I, I, I wasn't going to... If we lost to Brighton, I wasn't going to be angry because uh, Brighton are a good team and they're a little scary. Um, imagine a flock of seagulls hounding you uh, at the beach. Like the band? Yeah, I was just going to... Yeah. Same, same mind. A flock of seagulls at the beach is the band name. And uh, they put and on... And you've got a sandwich <laughs> and they want it. Because uh, we... There were there were a lot of... There were t- two big moments here. Uh, Ryan Gravenberch and... Um, Joao Pedro both had big, big chances they missed. So I think the only fair ending here is a 2-2. Uh, I've got here, uh, Brighton, more youngsters? Question mark, question mark. We've got two two bright sparks on the team that, you know, have been playing this season, but I think we kind of just saw them um, in action, most notably uh, Carlos Baleba, a 19-year-old defensive midfielder from Cameroon. He's had uh, three starts so far this season. And Simon Adingra, 21-year-old uh, Ivory Coast uh, winger. Um, I'd love to know what you two noticed about these these young men. Um, for me, Baleba popped a little more, and I just think that I give credit to any 19-year-old that can step into that particular position and look good. I think that's an area of the pitch where you both have to have both, uh, in the Premier League at least, um, a, a strong technical capability, a calmness on the ball, uh, a good sense of positioning, and also just ability to win physical battles. And as, as a 19-year-old, it's easy to excuse him for maybe not having all those tools mm. in, his, in his locker yet. But I think he really comported himself pretty admirably, given that he's coming into... A pretty complex system uh, under Deserbi, and also playing a uh, an opponent that can exploit those kinds of weaknesses very well, especially with the attacking talent they have in Liverpool. So I thought he, I w- he, I was really impressed with him. Um, I thought he just looked like a, a, an old head out there. Um, <laughs> he just yeah, he played. Yeah. He was pretty smooth. I, I didn't really see any glaring issues from him uh, in the match. So uh, Boleba obviously having one of um, the uh, intention to be a Caicedo replacement as uh, yes. their golden boy shipped off to Chelsea. Yeah, the, the, the kid, like, to toss some numbers at you, which I, like, I'm prone to do, but the kid had, uh, he attempted nine duels, he won seven of them. Like, that's pretty damn good, man. Like, that's what, exactly what you want out of this player in the midfield. Um, he had two successful, successful dribbles, four uh, accurate long balls. Like, he just had, like, a great match. There really is a... Um, I don't know. It's, that's a pretty spotless performance, I'd say, outside of the, maybe the one yellow card. Against a pretty tough Liverpool. Like, that's nothing to scoff at. Yeah. What about you guys? What do you think between the two? Any any, any words in Simon Adingra? I, I mean, like, Baleba, you know, I think I think it's uh, defensive midfielders will always kind of be gravitated towards by people who look at uh, statistics um, over, like, Losers. a visual style of play. And, yeah, we call those people nerds. <laughs> Get the Trebek soundbite. <laughs> Losers, in other words. Uh, Simon Adingra is a is a young man who can run at incredible pace. Mm-hmm. And to, uh, so before the goal, 
you saw him just like bounding forward and the instinct to take the shot early to put Allison off balance impeccable. I yeah, that was. did not expect that whatsoever. I don't think any of us did, including Allison. <laughs> <laughs> and the, uh, I think the instinct it shows to have like a heads up play to see where Allison is to be able to dispossess. Um, I believe it was um, Mac Allister, if I am not mistaken. It was Mac Allister. Yes. I don't blame Mac Allister for that as much as I kind of blame Van Dyke for passing it to him personally. Um, that's true. Van Dyke kind of set him up for uh, failure. He passed, into passed him into pressure. Yeah. <laughs> and he was, uh, Mac Allister, not a uh, super, uh, not, not a guy built to be pressed by uh, two players at the same time. So, yeah, uh, Simon Dingra also had these moments where he would just change the pace of his run during the game and it would go from like these quick steps which were um like like the normal run to like a gallop and that to me uh as a player would be terrifying to see that in yeah. in real time so uh, i i think if i'm a brighton fan i'm super excited by these two but mostly simon and dunger because like i love watching players run across the field at like pace i think to one thing you hear a lot about in Basically, across all fat, all sports, is like one of the best skills an athlete can learn in, in in a ball sport, at least not like track or whatever. But is an ability to change pace, change their stride. Like this is a big thing with ball handlers in the NBA. It's of course huge for like running backs in the NFL, guys who can just like suddenly explode, yeah. right? Or they can quickly change direction. Um, that's like a, a, a massive tool to have. Like we were talking about that with Doku a little bit. And yeah, Adingra definitely has that as well. Yeah, I I, I prefer the term uh, lulling you into a false sense yes, of security. exactly. Oh, you're running as fast as me. <laughs> Too bad! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, turn on the afterburners and you're gone, you know, or you quickly just cut in field and suddenly the defender's wrong-footed or off-balance, you know, and you've got them, right? Yes. The, the master of that, by the way, is Karma Matoma. Like, that guy just knows exactly how all the little body feints and deft moves to get his defender going one way have his body weight um, just completely shifted the wrong direction, and then just, boom, he's gone the other way. And you know what, Blair? I'm glad you brought Karamatova up. Because <laughs> you know who was absolutely pocketed by Trent Alexander-Arnold this game? <laughs> it's Karu Human. Matoma. Karu Human. He, uh, Matoma, he's washed. Uh, I frankly can't think of a worse player in the league. Uh, he was 5-7 on dribbles, dude. Yeah, I don't know um, if he's I washed. really don't understand the hype behind him because Trent <laughs> had him in the back pocket and he was Eight just keeping there. and ground <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't care about your numbers, man. All right? Uh, it's <laughs> so imagine my confusion when Jurgen... Thomas Klopp. I don't know that's if that's... Normal. I don't know. It can't be. <laughs> it's... You're, you're looking up for me. Norbert? <laughs> Dude, yeah, we've looked this up before. Yeah, because that is that is just not... That's not right. Do you think he's seen the movies? Norbert. Nor, uh, the Norbit movies? I don't think so. That's hilarious. That's the best... The, that's the fact of the day. His middle name's... That anyway. is a fact of the day. Um, imagine my confusion when he takes off Trent Alexander-Arnold for Joseph Gomez, and then Gomez proceeds to just get run circles around by Matoma. Um, I, I have here Jacob's confusion 
puzzlement of Joe Gomez increases. I don't know what the plan is, Klopp. I understand we got to manage Trent's games here, but but what what is it serving when when you have a slower, less technical player who's a better ball winner? But if Trent's performing in in, in his satisfactory fashion, why why are we stopping that? I mean, it's not like he's had a lot of games played recently. I think he's had like one for the last three or four. Yeah, I don't know. and that would be really the only logic I can muster for that choice personally. Yes. Uh, not knowing all the minutia of uh, what's going on in the Liverpool camp. Yeah, yeah. That would be what I would I would jump to as a explanation because, yeah, I, I don't I don't think, yeah, I don't think that Trent did too bad against one of the more defensive, or I'm sorry, one of the more difficult uh, defensive assignments you'll see in the league. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, I think he was, did very, very well here. Uh, you know, in in spite of the uh, valid criticisms that are waylaid to his person as like a playing style. So, uh, but continuing on, so these these are kind of like problems I'm seeing in the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the another one of these is the tendency for uh, Jurgen Klopp to not start the much needed much vocalized problem by the fan base is the lack of a true defensive midfielder. We yes. signed one with Taro Endo. Uh, you might ask, how many games has he played recently? Answer, not many, Klopp. Not many at all. Daily double. All of the secondary games, the non-important games uh, he has played, which is uh, whatever. But if we're going to play against Brighton, we need a DM. We need a DM. And the the evidence that has been presented to us throughout the season is that Liverpool love to concede first. I wonder why. It's because they don't have an accountant in there that say, hey, these numbers don't add up. We need to be scoring first. They need to get Ben Affleck in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with like a no, we're not we're not going there. Uh, with the fifty cal. Yeah. Uh so I I guess I under McAllister is a fantastic ball carrier. He's pretty press resistant, but he's not a defensive midfielder. So when I see yep. a midfield trio of Dominic Shabashlai, there it is, uh, Alexis McAllister and Harvey Elliott, I am left to question what the idea is. Um. Yeah. Let's see what else. Um. Yeah. Uh. Getting tackled in the box. Was that a red card, ladies and gentlemen? Was let me let me card? let me try to find a no. description of the ticker here. I don't think it's a red card, and here's why: you were awarding a penalty. I don't think you should be getting both. I think that's tough. That's like too much for me. That's you'd have to like really chop them down. You know? I don't know. Maybe uh, by the, the the rules it is, but I think just like spiritually, it's not a red card. <laughs> spiritually, in my heart, my heart and soul disagree. Yeah. Um. So I guess. Yeah, um, and, and let me. I'm trying to find the description. Um, Just to give the broad strokes. Of the Verbruggen game. Uh, plays a poor pass inside the box, and Schabschlei yes. puts Gross under pressure. The Brighton man pulls him down and gives away a penalty. I don't think this specific verbiage describes quite the way it happened. It was a horse collar tackle, basically. Yes. <laughs> And so I think there was some discourse on whether or not that should have been a red card. I think it deserves a discussion, but whether or not it is a red card is another matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely worthy of a discussion for sure. I just think, I think it's tough to give both a penalty and a red card um, in most cases, but 
I mean, it was a very blatant. It was about as blatant mm-hmm. as they come. Uh, very obvious what he was going for. Probably not a good choice, right? Um, I think the one thing about defenders panicking is they don't think about the numbers. Like a 70% chance on a goal with a penalty is significantly higher than whatever they're going to concede off of just letting the shot go. Yeah, I, I also don't think that's their interior yeah, monologue. Like they, of, fuck, 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 yeah, fuck. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, and that's that was exactly what his defending <laughs> betrayed, It what was going yeah. through his mind. Um, kind of interesting that both the first goals for Brighton and Liverpool came off of basically the same um action it was a it was a high turnover uh forced by the press yeah both of them just against the road of play yeah and off of i would say um probably not great um playing out from the attempts to play out from the back um Mm -hmm. both teams were pressing each other pretty heavily um in the final third especially like they were they were it was pretty intense like first 35 40 minutes um and after yeah the verbruggen pass who I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure how convinced I am by him as a as a keeper. But after that pass into pressure, um, you know the penalty. It's two one. It feels like the momentum was really going in Liverpool's favor, and I thought that they were probably just going to ride it out from there. But I did too. Um, yeah, I guess things did change a little bit with Trent coming off. I guess I feel like I no. Nah, I guess it transpired before that. Even maybe it was. Uh, it was Pedro and uh, Dear Evan Ferguson coming off in, in, in the 60th minute, um, and um, especially Ferguson, I guess, because he wasn't having a great performance. But they made some changes that I think worked a little bit to get right. Their, Brighton did, of course, to get their feet back on the ground. But I think the, the, like you can just be happy with a point for both teams here. I think Brighton against Liverpool, they're going to be fine with a point. Liverpool against Brighton, you know, I think I do think I. I'm I'm just gonna take a quick look at the fixture list Liverpool have had. I think we've had one of the tougher runs early season, um, being uh, Aston Villa, Newcastle, West Ham, uh, Tottenham, and Brighton and Chelsea. Yeah. Um. So I think like with the with the point tallies, uh, Brighton and Liverpool are fine where they're at given the opponents they faced. Both teams produced two point three xG. So yeah, it so feels, it feels about mathematically, right. it is the correct result. Um, and Brighton currently sit at sixth, but only four points off first. Uh, Liverpool three points off first. Um, so it's not like you know, uh, no alarm bells, guys. Come on, um, guys, stop it. Uh, all right. Um, uh, Madeline. Yeah. What's up? Do you have to go and prepare? Not not yet. Okay. I've got some time. Okay. Well, because we're going to launch into the next segment here. Yeah. All right. Transition noise, because this is the official Plastics Podcast segment, the match of the week. Transition noise. Cool. Arsenal. You're welcome. One. Nil. Manchester City. (laughs) In London, at the Emirates, underneath blue skies. Mm-hmm. Mm. City wearing sky blue, mm. Blair. losing under the sky blue. Mm. Take me through the mind palace that you currently reside in. I'm at peace. I can I can finally rest, Jacob. <laughs> I slept easy. Are you easy. like Thanos sitting on his farm after he snapped uh-huh. with his finger? Exactly. Yeah, I just killed half of the world's population with one snap of the finger. That is the equivalent here. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Why don't um you know? There's going to be a bunch of little things we got to talk about in the match, but overall, just just general feeling, you and the resulting Arsenal fan base, which is a, not an insignificant port, 
portion of the world's population. What are you all? Close to seven billion. (laughs) What are you all? Twitter's there's dozens of us. Dozens. (laughs) Uh, I think jubilation Mm -hmm. for many. For me, it was just a distinct feeling of relief, and it was because there was a there was a stat given on the embassy broadcast during the game and we hadn't won in the league against man city since 2018 (laughs) um we've had some good shots at it but we've always come up holding the l and they've been better than us over that run so like that's to be expected but the goal aggregate was 33 to 5 um which is really bad oh my god we've held some major l's against them there's the classic five nil i think two years ago to start the season out at the etihad with uh, granite shaka getting sent off with the red card and some of the most disastrous <laughs> defending in the world from the likes of skadra mustafi callum chambers uh cedric suarez uh, had Kalasinac. Do you all, remember any all of Arsenal these? Arsenal legends in these, their own right. They're the Mustafi the, is a World Cup winner. Put some respect <laughs> on it. The the yeah seven deadly sins playing at the back for <laughs> Arsenal. <laughs> um, so it, I think this this match feels like the culmination of like a lot of work that's been put in over the last half decade or so to build a team that's actually capable of going toe to toe with Man City. Yeah, I mean, and that is very sweet to finally have kind of arrived at that moment. It's the first. This is the stat that kind of was crazy to me. It's the first back-to-back loss for Manchester City in nearly five years. Yeah, that's crazy in the Premier League. In, in the Premier League, League. Yeah. still, I, I think it's I think it's insane that. Guardiola is able to just not lose <laughs> more than one time in a row. It's really is oh, crazy. It's thirty-eight times five, almost like you and the wolves, man. Yeah, man. Just, just Ow. do. It. Ow. So, big dogs stay hungry. If if this is such a cool game, Blair, why was it so boring? Um, I think people say it was boring. It was kind of boring. Um, I'll tell you why it's boring. People look at this match rightfully or not as like the the title one you know like the one that's on the big mm. the big one for the title mm. right um to do a little math for you arsenal lost the league by five points last year if they just beaten city one time they would have won the league so that was a big it's a big swing of things right um these things really are six pointers as people call them so to going into it everyone's expecting this big heavyweight bout and i think what happened was the Liverpool Man City matches of yore, I think, trained people to uh, expect sort of these blood and thunder, uh, Thunderdome duels to the death that those matches became. And I think those played out that way because they were two teams with very distinct styles. Arsenal and Manchester City do not have two very distinct styles. They have styles that overlap very much, um, kind of one and the same. They both kind of want to do the same things. They both are set up to do basically the same things. And so I think what you're then seeing is a war of attrition and not like these, um, you know, two teams throwing haymakers at each other. You're watching uh, a chess match. Yeah, I, yes. I appreciate that because I think that this implies a certain amount of flattery to Liverpool in the way you're saying this. Uh, because the I mean, the those matches at the height of Liverpool's powers were some of the best sporting events I ever watched in my life. Yeah. The height yeah. of the powers. I wish, I kind of wish, it's part of me wishes I was like a neutral for those because I think it would have been way less stressful. Just like watching it was, two teams. It was pure, on a pure. Hundred. Yes, it was like it was amazing. Yeah, um, 
It's like when you get just the right amount of coffee in you and then you start tapering water at the right time. And, <laughs> yeah. you just, oh, and then wow. you're just like oh, working. And you're that's right. a beautiful yeah. mix right there. Yeah. Like I have the, not hit that today. You know those graphics <laughs> you saw when uh, you were watching Limitless and like Bradley Cooper's like... Yeah, exactly. The numbers in the air. Yeah, at the the craps table. Yeah, so what I hear you're describing here is while Liverpool and Manchester City was this beautiful cinematic like on like the last yes. battle yes. on the fields in uh on, on the field the pelinor fields in front of Minas Tirith as exactly. Gondor fights for the survival of Middle exactly. Earth against the armies of Sauron yes um <laughs> the it was a it was two it was a cavalry yes. charge Arsenal yes. Man City was the orcs of Isengard and uh uh, Baradur fighting at the gates of Helm's Deep against Theoden King. And Kovacic yeah. took this quite literally. Kovacic was the orc that was running <laughs> with the torch to light the bomb. The alert. Alert. <laughs> that was Are our we expecting bell. guests? Yeah. Uh, no. Damn it. I was in such good. Okay. Uh, you Kov- really were flowing there, dude. That was your spitting. <laughs> Kovacic <laughs> is the orc that throws himself. <laughs> Onto the bombs that Saruman had set up to blow apart the wall of Helm's Deep. However, in this case, it didn't blow apart because Arsenal won. Mm-hmm. But I guess since we brought his name up, what the hell, Kovacic? What? What was? What? What's the? De- I mean, okay. So here's the thing, Rodri. I think this game has revealed himself to be possibly Man City's most indispensable player at present. I think that's almost indisputable at this point, right? Yeah, because each time he's gone, Man City kind of have a bit of a mess to clean up. They don't have a contingency for Rodri. Which that makes him the yeah, most important. He's player. a very good player. He's very good at what he does. And what yeah. he does is he fouls players so subtly that yes. the refs do it. <laughs> Kovacic. Like, oh, you. <laughs> hey, no more. <laughs> so Kovacic did this, but the subtlety, the nuance, the the dexterous way you break a man's leg just wasn't there. Instead, it was just, he, he, I don't know, he, he just did a flying kick. Twice, yeah. Um, Kovacic probably should have been sent off. I don't know if his first one was a straight red, but mm-hmm. the, he definitely had two yellow card-worthy challenges in this match. So um, we must say goodbye to Maddie. Yeah, good luck I, in your yeah, interview, let's, let's, let's do clap for Maddie as she goes off to Cheers. her job interview. Cheers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll see you on the other side. Continue. Uh, yeah, Blair, continue about this prose upon a man named Mateo Kovacic. A man named Mateo. The name of my first short story. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, Mateo Kovacic isn't a defensive midfielder, uh, but he was trying to be, I guess. He and Bernardo da Silva were trying to sort of form some sort of amalgamation of what a, a one defensive midfielder would do. Right. And I think that if you look at this midfield, Rico Lewis, Silva, and Kovacic, it's kind of lightweight in that department. It's good at some things, very good at some things, but um, doing the one-man pivot job that Rodri does is not one of those it's, things. It's a, it's a very hard... Uh, pair of shoes to fill and to me I think you're absolutely right this strikes as like a super mobile midfield it's like pinging passes everywhere yeah um, and I think like Rico Lewis especially was very impressive on the match. He was just kind of moving wherever the hell he it, wanted. The man isn't even 19 yet. Yeah, it's crazy. He's like, they say two months from his 19th birthday yeah. or something. Yeah, it's very wild. Um, yeah, November 21st. He I, he he does continue to impress. Um, but yeah, I think 
they they you're exactly right Rodri is his superpower is breaking up transition moments which keeps pep up at night that's his biggest fear in life. How do I replace him? Exactly. More than anything in this world, Pep is afraid of transitions. He's got. He went out and got Kyle Walker, the fastest man on earth. Yes. In Rodri, the guy with the Teflon armor, uh, can't get yellow cards uh, except when he chokes people out. Um, and that's how he and uh, seven world class center backs. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Exactly. The seven headed Hydra of Guardiola, Ake, Diaz, Stones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so they definitely miss him a ton. And I think taking the temperature of, especially the, the arsenal discords that I'm in, there were, there were some who were not just, uh, cautiously optimistic, but outright confident looking at city's midfield that, yeah, we should win this match. And I do not share that confidence because I'm a, I'm a baby, but like (laughs) on paper you should, that it's kind of true, you know, like that isn't like the most ideal setup for their midfield. Okay. Let me gently counter this though. Uh, I think I, I don't think there's any dispute here, but most Arsenal fans don't want to see Jorginho in a starting lineup. no, no, he, I mean, Jorginho, he, here's what I'll say about Jorginho. Yeah. This is me parroting from things I've, I've listened to already, uh, analysis of the game. But um, what the one thing that Jorginho is very good at is being a third option defensive midfielder. You know, if you're down to your third option defensive midfielder, like pick any other team in the league. Who is their third option there? I don't know. I couldn't I couldn't name that for most clubs. So if you had to choose... I guess having Jorginho there isn't so bad. Um, and he and Rice kind of form more of a pivot in this match, I think, than uh, it was him sort of solely alone in the midfield. And I guess if you're going to put Jorginho next to anybody, having Declan Rice there is very nice. And I think Declan Rice had his 105 million pound performance that we bought him for in this right. match. So uh, at the end of the day, I guess... And with the full benefit of hindsight, it doesn't feel quite as bad because Jorginho is still very good at some things. Covering space is not that. Uh, He's not a them. fast person. Yeah. Um, and I think what made up for it was this sort of triad of players in Saliba, Gabriel, and Rice, who I think all three of them uh, had just impeccable defensive performances. So if, if, I'm, if I'm to drive the, 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 the point, my question is trying to proc here is that you have a Jorginho Rice Odegaard midfield uh-huh. right which to me is like the triangle right yep. you have yep. Jorginho and Rice at the bottom Odegaard way up way up high yeah um <clears throat> versus Kovacic Silva Rico Lewis um Silva playing much deeper this game yeah at the base of midfield very interesting Rico Lewis kind of like in between the 10 spot and somewhere a bit deeper. It's like Griezmann light. Yeah, I, I was, it, it was, it was, it was kind of curious. And then Kovacic in the middle, right? So like, yep. to me, it's like you have a triangle versus a line that like kind of distributes itself depending on where Man City are trying to defend or attack. Mm-hmm. And so obviously the triangle is a stronger shape than a line. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, so, but the, the, the midfield's not what I think most fan bases would consider their ideal starting midfield. Yeah. Um, but yes, so the, but you 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 so conveniently brought up another point I have on the table here is that uh, Saliba, Gabriel, George, uh, Rice as the like def, pure defensive triangle. Yeah. Um, so in, in, in short, why is William Saliba perhaps the best defender in the world right now? Dude, he's so good. It's crazy. <laughs> um, 
he's like got the body of like an elite center back. He's a big dude. Um, and he uses his size well, but he has some of the ball playing capabilities of like a midfielder. The guy for a center back completes dribbles very well. Um, and that skill is immense, especially when you're trying to break a press like cities, which was very effective for the first 20, 25 minutes of this match. I thought for sure they were just going to score and that was going to be that. Um, and we got pretty lucky that they didn't. Um, but having a guy like Saliba there who can one match the pace of Erling Holland and then two uh, beat a press with his dribbling and his passing. I mean, that is the, those are the three things that you could possibly ask for in one human being, you know, you can get that, um, with a defensive line, but if you can get that all in one guy, that's impressive. Uh, and at the age of what, 20, 22 years old, like he seems to be having a very bright start to a potentially big future. Yeah. I, I mean, unquestionably like Arsenal's pr- probably most important uh, player. Yeah. I think he's probably, and like, it's just like so crazy that we've gotten him to this point, given how rocky his start was with the club. And everyone's like, for sure, he's gone. We gave his number away. We kept sending him on loan. Arteta wasn't talking here. to him. Like, just the, the fact that we got here feels so distinctly lucky. Um, and getting him tied down to a contract extension, like, it's pretty crazy. Um, I, I don't even know if, like, personally, I don't know if I could ever, like, put a number on what I would like sell him for, you know, it's like his value is like reached the limit, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think he's young, young, uh, young player performing above expectations at mm-hmm. a club who is consistently competing at the top level. I, I think that's about as high as you can get for a center back. Yeah, for sure. And like, I mean, to throw more numbers at you, he uh, attempted in this match, 70 passes. He completed 69 of them. Um, which that percentage just says nice. So that's that's pretty good. And I think visually what most people will gravitate towards is the fact that Erling Holland accumulated zero shots. Zero shots. And it was in large part due to the defensive partnership of Gabriel McGlyish, but, and, but mostly Willem Saliba being able to effectively just outbody the running refrigerator that is <laughs> Erling Holland. Yeah, there's this, there's this instance that's going around uh, the, the Arsenal uh, interweb where uh, Holland and Saliba sort of came together right in the center circle, and Holland tries to body him a bit, and he just kind of crumples to the floor uh, in a heap of uh, Norwegian blonde man, and uh, Saliba's standing there like super doge. Um, And yeah, this is like, this is just like, it's like pornography for Arsenal fans, (laughs) honestly. (laughs) um, Yes! Yes! So, yeah, I think that's just kind of a good example of how they were able to to contain him. And I, I think that that kind of is the formula going into this. Like everyone was talking about last week, like Craig Dawson putting in this like superhero performance against Erling Holland and how he, you know, man marked him and just made him feel his presence and yeah. made him uncomfortable, you know? Um, what was the match we were watching where they were just like, was it Sheffield against City? Where they were just grappling Holland and like trying to tackle him to the ground every yes, time using the yes. box and just pissing Doing him off. Doing like throwing everything yeah, at him. Yeah, yeah. And it almost worked, you know? Like they almost did, they almost pulled something out of there. But um, once again, Rodri uh, reared his head in that match. So yeah, I mean, that was, that was the most pivotal, I think, aspect of this performance because so, Erling Holland can win any match for City. So if you will, it's like uh, Erling Holland is... 
Imagine this scene in Fellowship of the Ring where they are breaking into the room that the Fellowship have barricaded themselves in at um, in the Mines of Moria, uh-huh. and Boromir the shows. I think I need to watch these movies again, like a few times, to understand what you're talking about. Well, Boromir goes, "They have a cave troll," and then the orcs are breaking down the doors, and uh, Erling Holland, in this case, is the cave troll. But when uh, the when the cave troll stabs Frodo in the chest, everyone. Like oh, no, but then it's revealed that Frodo has a plate of mithril armor on. Oh, Frodo's arsenal and the mithril armor is Willem Saliva. You cannot stab through mithril with any mortal weapon. So anyway, um, so this this forty six minute sub for Lando Trussard for Gabriel Martinelli proved pretty smart, I think, by uh, by our Mikel Arteta's mind yeah <laughs> yeah his mind taking control of his body uh um yeah so i think this match for arsenal revealed the glaring need for pace on the wings because we don't have that uh, um we didn't have that available to us necessarily i think jesus looked pretty good i mean like he had i think he had a really great performance but um the way jesus plays on the right wing and Saka plays on the right wing. Is they're pretty distinct. Uh, Saka likes to stole, uh, slow the ball up, get into his sort of tempo dribbling, and, and, and beat you with his body feints. Jesus will just run at you and tire you out and make you miserable uh, the whole time. Trossard is more of a, a crafty, shifty guy than he is a sprinter. Gabriel Martinelli is just trying to beat you with his his dribble, his like one dribble move um, that he tries on you over and over again. So I think his pace really did change a lot for us in this match because he came on the um uh, at halftime apparently because Trossard picked up some sort of hamstring injury which is very unfortunate by the way because uh Martinelli is maybe coming back a bit early from uh, his own hamstring in- injury so we're just uh trading off hamstrings <laughs> here oh boy um anyway let's ignore that for now uh international break so hopefully it's not too serious um yeah so it comes on and immediately he goes at Walker you know and basically declares his intent to do so for the rest of the half. And I think that required some assistance from Bernardo Silva um, coming over. And instantly when you do that, when you bring two guys to you like that, it creates space, you know? So that's that's a huge um, tactical shift that they have to make to um, adjust for that threat on the wing. So it was really great to see Martinelli back because I think we were definitely missing someone like him in that Lons match where we got completely out. Uh, we just completely lost the physical battle. Um, and we were definitely missing that in this match where I think we were playing too much. Um, we were trying to we were trying to play through them too much and not just kind of beat them with our uh, physicality and athleticism because we didn't really have it on the pitch. So Martinelli was a big change there. You know, I, as you were talking, um, the way you described Martinelli makes me think of Kingsley Coman for mm. Bayern Munich. Yes. Um, he's incredibly fast, incredibly technical. He's He's got one move that he employs over and over again that sometimes works. Yes. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think he, he can use a bit of um, refinement on his end product. But other than that, you know, I think they're very much similar players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think if you look at some of the... Rep- reported uh recruitment attempts by arsenal i mean obviously the mudrick one was huge that guy if he doesn't have anything he at least has world-class speed uh i think they're pedro nato is another name that's been floated around a lot um with links to arsenal so i think there's some acknowledgement within the ranks that we do need another guy like that who can beat you 
with mm. that sort of physical pace and power um, that we don't necessarily have in the side. I don't think Coman will go. He needs to get a trophy every season he's at a team. <laughs> Dude, that's, yeah, his, his <laughs> record there is insane. Um, you have any closing thoughts on this game? Because I think this is the big money match, and this wasn't tainted by refing controversies, so I think we can do a little bit more on the gameplay itself. Yeah, I mean, it almost was, right? But I'm kind of glad, and again, I'm sort of I'm, uh, um, copying this opinion, but I'm kind of glad in the end that we were able to get the win against 11 because it would have been sort of... It would have been dumb, yeah. Yeah, had it been to down to 10. Definitely, Kovacic, I think most people would agree, should have been sent off. Yeah, yeah. If that hasn't already been said by us this game, this yeah. match. Um, bad first 30 minutes, good uh, last 64 minutes or whatever it ended up being um, for Arsenal. I think I would probably would have been, a, I would have been very okay with a point. Getting three points is just like, woof, it's like out of this world. The, the subs were, to a man, all four of them were involved in the goal. Uh, Party's long pass up the up the field to Tomiyasu, who was playing like a shadow striker position, I guess. Uh, heading it down to Havertz, who chests it, controls it, passes it to Martinelli, who scores off of Ake's face. Um, so, yeah, I mean, some big-time uh, sub-performances there to get all three points. And if uh, we just keep scoring these wacky fluke goals against City like we did in the Community Shield, yeah. where it bounced off of stones and then that, or... I can't recall who it was. And then Ake with the perfect header placement to um, put one home for us in this match. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a great strat. If you can successfully harness the power of chaos, <laughs> yeah. then yes, yeah. there, is a, there is a light at the end of this tunnel. <laughs> Mikel Arteta has somehow harnessed entropy to uh, bend to his will. Chaos Emeralds. <laughs> yes. So, uh, you know, Man City sitting in third um, for the record, top four currently Tottenham sit on top with uh, a more favorable uh, goals uh, goal differential. Um, so it's actually goals four, I think. They so Tottenham have two more goals for yeah. So they so they yeah. have scored eighteen goals. Arsenal have scored sixteen. So currently it's Tottenham, Arsenal, then Man City at third with eighteen points, and then Liverpool at fourth with seventeen. So it's no no one. Um, I think this is going to be a very congested top four, much more congested than I thought it was going to be at the beginning of the season. Yeah, Newcastle are turning things on too recently. <sighs> They're yeah. looking pretty solid, although they did, they did draw to West Ham, who've been pretty good this year. So, so it's not like um, But for, I think, four club managers, the uh, weekend comes with a respite. The international break is upon us, so we will have about roughly two weeks of uh, games to deal with, which brings us to uh, the U.S., the U.S. plays both Germany and Ghana uh, on this coming Saturday, October 21st at 3 p.m. They play Germany in Connecticut. Wait, where? Um, the uh, I read the stadium name. I don't think I've heard of it. Um, Should we go to that? The Pratt and Whitney Stadium at Rentschler Field, East Hartford, Connecticut. We could definitely take a train there. We probably could. Um yeah. That would be sick. Just like look up some. Uh, Isn't Pratt and Whitney like a military firm? Don't they make like <laughs> fighter jets or something? You know, I don't know, but I would be surprised. So, uh, yeah, it's in Hartford, so it's not too far away. And then uh, on Tuesday, uh, October seventeenth, which it, which it comes first. I don't know why I've listed it in this order, but the U.S. faces Ghana at eight thirty p.m. Um, Eastern Standard Time in Tennessee, in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, so. Uh, a quick look at the roster here. Um, Ethan Horvath and Matt Turner have been called up. Ethan Horvath's uh, starting woes continue from club to country. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, we've got CCV, uh, Serginho Dast, Dijuan Jones, uh, who is New England's right back, uh, Christopher Lund. Plays for Palermo, Tim Marim, Chris Richards. Miles Robinson is back. Joe Scally for our defense. Uh, so no Anthony Robinson. I believe he's injured right now. Um, yeah, midfielders, right. Jenna Cardoso, Luca De La Torre, uh, Leonard Maloney. This is a, uh, a first introduction into the team. Uh, plays for Heidenheim in Germany. Weston McKenney, Yanis Musa, Gio Reyna, and Malik Tillman. Forwards being Brendan Aronson, Florin Balligan, Kevin Paredes. Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, and Tim Moya. So most of the familiar cast we've seen, only super new face being um, Leonard Maloney. So if he plays, we'll have some notes for him. Yeah, for sure. Um, also, some performers coming out of Serie A. I mean, Christian Pulisic's done nothing but light the league on fire. Four goals and one assist and seven performances for Milan. They seem to be loving him over there so far. I think that's exactly the right move uh, for him, man. Like, he's like, that's just like... That's like such a uh, perfect match of league and player and talent. Um, I, w- I was saying it yesterday, but um, what is it about Italy and Italian food that immediately <laughs> makes injury-plagued players healthy again? It's an excellent question. It's like uh, there's there's this thing where like the Phoenix Suns were like credited with having like the best physio staff in the NBA. And, like, I think part of it was, like, people going and moving into, like, the high desert and, like, whatever it is about the weather there. Just, like, it's just, like, rehabilitating to, like, live there. Dang. Um, So, I don't know. Maybe it's something about that. It's all the Italian grandmas (laughs) uh, feeding them their homemade spaghetti. Yeah, Uh, it's like, oh, you mean the most stereotypically beautiful country in the world? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. Yeah, so uh, Milan for us geographically challenged folks um it's like north italy it's yeah, the northeast, northeast italy. i want to say yeah. it's, i don't think it's on a coast though um no it'd be a bit of a drive to the coast i believe yeah uh but yeah so like i i feel like if you're a player like if i was a player for like genoa right right on the coast uh you know i feel like it's really easy to lose sight of like career ambition yeah if you're just chilling collecting a massive paycheck could you imagine playing for like como you know, where you just like live on Lake Como and it's like the most beautiful place on earth. Like, and you're like, fuck, I, <laughs> I don't want to work today. Or like Palermo, you're like <laughs> yeah. in Sicily. Yeah, exactly. It's like, ah, what a life. Tickets for USA Germany are rather expensive. They're like $140. $140. I saw, I was looking at the Ghana game. Uh, those were like 36 but it's in Nashville. How much is a flight to Nashville? I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's on a Tuesday though. I would like go to Connecticut to watch the game. That'd be kind of sick. But, um... Yeah, so that'll be fun to watch. I'm excited yeah. to see the boys, especially, I think, this uh, Musa and, and Pulisic being together. I think, uh, you know, Wea getting a lot of consistent playing time with Juve has been great. Wea, McKenney with the yeah. disconnection, yes. Musa, yes. Pulisic with the Milan coming out, all wrapped up in well. a beautiful pasta. Yeah, pasta kaglu. We should keep getting our American boys to uh, moving to this area. I think that's great for us. Yeah. We should just move the United States to Italy. And then that sounds so nice. Dude. It, do, it does. You want to move New York to like Rome or something? Yeah, I, I, do. <laughs> I do. I do. I really would like, that. I would love to be neighbors of Jose Mourinho and Romelu Lukaku. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be excited that if there is one time to capitalize on a, uh, on a lumbering Germany, it's now. So, we will see what happens. Uh, but moving on, we will go on to our FPL update. Dun, ba, da, da. 
Transition Blair, noise. what is the current status on the Plastics League? Uh, dude, it's been a it's been a fall from grace for your boy. Mm. But right now, oh my. Uh, sorry, I'm just now looking at the league standings, and Rob's Rams has made a, a strong surge into a the top huge five. Jump. Um, so let's go. Let's go in order, though. Step up to the street. Zach Mikowski, our beloved roommate, uh, remains with his foothold on first place. Had a bit of a down week, 34 points this week, which is um, 10 below the average pace. And I think where he was at the last couple of weeks, he was well above the average pace. So he's kind of returning to the mean, as they say. Uh, Shake and bake, Dan Arnsberger. Holding it down, 37 points this week. Also a bit of a below-par uh, performance, I'd say. But um, only trailing Zach in first place by three points overall. So we've got a, a bit of a race up there, folks. Third place, like I said, Rob's Rams. Solid week. Got good performances from his Spurs boys. Uh, boo. Um, 469 overall points for him. Team Globo Gym, David Tower. 33 points. That's a tough performance. I think he, uh, he started Saka. He's got a bunch of zeros on his bench from... Injured and suspended players, so won't be getting any reprieve there, but still holding it down in fourth place at 469 points. I guess tied with Rob, Rob's Rams, uh, third and fourth on the same overall points. And then it's me, Are You Human or Are You Dancer, in fifth place, so, uh, tied with Sakajawea, Spencer Clark, who is our teammate from soccer. He kept in solid this week and got a cool 30 points. Nice. That was the right move, my friend. Uh, props to you. I made the coward's choice of captaining Holland against my own club. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's embarrassing. 468 points. So, um, from, I guess, Sakajawea in fifth to Rob's Rams in third there's a one-point gap, so special, it's getting pretty tight right there. Uh, special shout-out to Ann Erickson, coaches 11 with a 70-point week. That's huge. Uh, Wild-carded, so... Okay. Um, but she captained Salah. Oh, she brought in Neto. She captained Salah. That, that was the big move this choice. week. It was wise. So that'll, that'll be the uh, that'll be the wrap-up. Um, and uh, we will look forward to a much, I believe, lighter uh, two weeks as all of the, co- uh, the club soccer stops. Anything to add here, Blair? No, thank you for a lovely birthday. I love you all. Yeah, happy Tony. Um, there it is. I'm managing this outro music from the side. <laughs> Folks, it's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.